All right, here we are starting a whole new suit. Uh, Welcome to the suit of swords and the ace of swords. I don't know about you, but I'm really ready for some swords, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I've had quite enough water in my uh, (laughs) recent history. (laughs) Yeah. So some some control and um, clarity would be nice. I mean, I'm sure by the end of it, we'll be pretty ready to move on. But right now, it's good. (laughs) Yeah, the swords are tough, but um, it's a nice change from the wateriness. Yeah. And you know what? I'm actually kind of looking forward to to it just because people are so frightened of swords at some level. You know, I think they're interesting. There's a lot to talk about. Oh, I think so too. And hopefully by the time we get to the end of the suit, people will will at least have a little bit more insight into what's going on with them and maybe even a little less fear. Yeah, in a way, the the swords suit in general is really interesting because if you think of the Tetragrammaton Order of the Divine Name... It's only when you get to the sword suit that you're kind of approaching what's more accessible to us as human beings. Something which is kind of depressing if you minds. look at the sword suit in general. <laughs> <laughs> if it's describing the human journey, I mean, yeah, there's it, it is kind of grim. Very human about the good things and the bad things about swords. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's only in swords and discs that you're approaching. You know things the human experience can encompass. The other ones are a little bit more removed from us in a way. Right. So the hermetic title of the Ace of Swords is the root of the powers of the air, which I don't know if it really gives you all that much (laughs) as a name, right? It just It's exactly the same as all the other Ace names, just the element changes. I guess what we're going to be dealing with throughout the suit is kind of the dual nature of swords, you know, I think, mm-hmm. is it in book T that they say the sword can be used for good or evil? Oh, it's in a lots of, lots of it's places, in a lot but of places. definitely in, definitely in book T, um, it's a power yeah. that can be wielded in either direction. Especially at the beginning of the suit, we get that sense of uh, the ace's potential and the connection with the sacred that, you know, is so, so different and so special in the suit, because it's something we can actually understand with our actual human minds. But I guess by the end of the suit, you can see how we tend to screw it up. (laughs) We've probably mentioned this in our other ace episodes, but it it bears repeating of, you know, the aces as a root or a seed idea. It's kind of the nascent quality of the element before it appears. It's what it's drawing from. And I think Liber Theta describes it very well as the aces are all this elemental tendency to step away from unity in each of the four directions being the four elements. Right. And the ace has the potential for everything in it, but it's not yet manifest. Right. And all of the aces, so each of the aces is associated with its element as the root of its element, but all of them have in common that they're also associated with the element of spirit. Yes. The fifth element. So let's see, you already mentioned a little bit about the Ace of Swords and its connection to the divine name. In terms of Yod, He, Vav, He, we, we're now in Vav. Don't you we... might say, you know, you could 
we'll also say in that order. So father, mother, son, daughter, we're now in the the son, the union of the father and mother. Or you could think of it as the union of fire and water producing air. I was just reading somewhere, I can't remember exactly where, about the idea that it may have been Crowley saying this, but the air itself has no sort of will or intention of its own, but yep. uh, given the combined force of its parents behind it, yes, its ability exactly. to cause uh, change, its force is tremendous. Um, and now we think of aces as being kind of centered around the North Pole. And I think, you know, as as an image, that kind of makes sense because even though north, south, what what are those anyway, really, in terms of the globe, it does give you this feeling of, you know, the aces as our connection to what's beyond, to spirit, uh, the sense that it's, you know, as high up as it can get, even though high and low are not real terms. <laughs> right. And it makes sense, you know, when you think of aces as Keter and, you know, Keter as the point, the, the, the poles are a definite... In my mind, I, it makes sense visually, you know, the, the, the point, that central axis yeah. point. Yeah, the ace, the Sephira Keter, and the pole all have that quality of being abstract concepts in a way, mathematical points or... Mm. Um, I like to imagine, you know, the ace is at that point in the center and then the 36 decanic miners in like a ring around around the equator. Yeah, I was reading also that the aces are considered generally the connecting link between Yetzira, uh, the which we'll talk about more and and Asiya. So between the world of, of form and the world of action or material, you know, even though we also associate those with the suits, the aces themselves can be thought of as an analog for that connection between the world we know and the world we don't. And there's also that progression in the aces that, you know, again, has to do with the divine name order, where you've got, you could call them masculine and feminine aces, but you could also call them the aces of force and the aces of form. And I read something really interesting the other day about just the concepts of force and form, that form is force in a self-directed pattern that's you know crystallized and consolidated in a in a pattern of its of its choosing i guess the force is choosing mm-hmm. and that force is form broken and so what it looks like here in our reality um so force taking a form into a pattern looks like a birth and form breaking apart and becoming force looks like a death and I thought that was really wow. interesting. And so when I think of the the Ace of Swords in particular, it's kind of interesting because this would be a, a force ace. And mm-hmm. it does have that function of separating and breaking apart and a sort of destructiveness to it. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely does. And, you know, just thinking about those polarities and the Ace of Swords – you know, another thing I was just looking at, and I suppose we're getting into Kabbalah awfully, awfully fast here, but... Um, well, that's how the that's, Kabbalah cookie crumbles. <laughs> <laughs> but I was sort of looking at the meanings of Bina and Chokmah, and, you know, the parents of uh, Teferet, so the, in a sense, the parents of the Ace of Swords. And, uh, and you know, and really, 
In Hebrew, even though we translate chokmah as wisdom and bina as understanding, they're both really kinds of wisdom, you know, that's just hard mm-hmm. to translate. And chokmah is like the wisdom is that sort of bursts into your mind, the insight, the sort of spark of, you can even say understanding, but it's bina where that information or that first impulse is taken in and translated into concepts you can understand. So they're really active and passive sides of wisdom. And I think mm-hmm. the two sides of the sword are connected to that as well. Yeah, the concepts of um, Bina and Hakma and their combination is really important to understanding the suit in general, but especially this card. Mm-hmm. Um, you could also think of it if you think of you know wisdom and understanding or instead think of it as will and love, the combination of that wielded rightly may yield this process of reason. Right. This this form of understanding and wisdom that's informed by both. In the best case. (laughs) In the best case, exactly. (laughs) Right. Uh, Shall we talk a little bit about air, about elemental stuff? Yeah. Oh, that reminds me, each of the aces has... You know, the meditation pattern in Liber Theta gives to each ace an elemental card. In this case, it would be the Fool, the mm-hmm. elemental trump of air. And one of the air sign cards, the fixed one. So in this case, the meditation pattern that they recommend is the Fool and the Star. Right. With the ace of swords in between. And it just reminded me, I started thinking about how we've talked in some of the other suits about the elemental trumps as describing the suit. So in this case, we've got the journey of the fool. And you think of the journey of the fool as the whole journey through the majors, but Mm -hmm. through the swords, it's interesting to think of it as another type of fool's journey. Yes. Kind of one that we experience here on earth. So I thought that was kind of cool. So maybe we could talk a little bit about that. And also the star. Okay, so it's the fixed air sign for Aquarius. But I think it's also, there's really interesting connections with all three of the air trumps with the Ace of Swords, Mm -hmm. which we can talk about. But if you think about the paths coming from the supernal parents, now this is if you're going with the Thoth-based placement of the star coming from You're going for the three mothers down here. (laughs) They both connect... The connection with uh, Tiferet has the star on one end to Hokma, and on the other end from Tiferet to Bina, we have the lovers. So those are the two air sign trumps. Mm-hmm. And then what's the third one? Justice. And that's also associated with the Ace of Swords for obvious reasons. Right. And the, the thing about the fool that I think is so interesting when you think of the fool as air and associate him with this Ace of Swords is that when you approach that card, there is adventure, but there's also danger. So there's both sides, just the way there is with any sword card. There's the idea that you have to be open and take risks and try something new and plunge into the unknown. And yet there's also the possibility of <laughs> plunging into the abyss to your right. destruction. Like you think of the fool as being a, f- you can think of the fool as being, you know, foolish, and mm-hmm. lacking reason, and yet this is the suit of reason itself. Right. It's both the lack of knowledge that means curiosity and the lack of knowledge that means folly, both at the same time. Yeah. There's knowledge 
And then there's the death of knowledge, and both are important in the mm-hmm. process of the sword. So, yeah, and I was thinking that you can think of the three air trumps, uh, adjustment or justice, the star and the lovers, as kind of representing different aspects of the qualities of swords. So justice, of course, or adjustment, whatever you want to call it and whichever deck you're using, contains the sword within it, right? And it's the sword of justice. It's the sword that writes the balance of the universe in the best case. So there's that that instinct towards making things right through your connection or your understanding of the divine equilibrium. Yeah, through the process of balance. Right. And then the star, I, I think there's a, a quality of persistent idealism about the star. Yes. Um, the uh, the willingness to follow through that you get when you are grasping an idea and you want to allow it to take you on that journey towards whatever its destination is. I mean, when I the star what, is in sight, yeah, right, right, yeah. It's it's that Aquarian quality of always looking into the future, looking into mm-hmm. uh, the thing that you're going towards, and allowing it to guide you. It's a yeah, it's a visionary um, quality yeah. for sure. For sure. And sure. and future-oriented. Mm-hmm. And then with the lovers, you know, well, in addition to it, to the lovers having its own connection to the idea of the sword through the Hebrew letter Zion, there's that idea that whenever you have free will, whenever you make a choice, you are cutting away all other mm-hmm. Yeah, you're eliminating <laughs> one choice by, in the act of choosing, you're killing off everything you didn't choose. And it is a, in some ways, a, it's a momentous thing to do. And it can be, even though we think of the lovers as such a positive card in some way, you know, it is the collapse of possibility. So we go from Libra to Aquarius to Gemini, from adjustment to, or justice to the star to the lovers. Oh, and don't forget the dance with the fool in adjustment Mm -hmm. and justice, right? So we go you know, the, the dancing partner of the fool, justice, creating balance in the universe to the fixity of purpose in the star. And then, you know, and then this question of uh, free will and uh, the collapse of quantum possibility into a single reality, you know, with the, uh, with the lovers. Yeah, like it's like the dance between randomness and chaos with some sort of order. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so interesting to think about, you know, the differences between what we we just went through with cups, which were all about surrender and transformation. This is a story about balance and trying to achieve it and what you have to give up in the process. It's also possible, there are two different ways to look at associated majors with the fool. One of them is to look at these three different air majors, but the other one is to look at the period of time and and the three signs associated with that quadrant. So that would be Capricorn, Aquarius, Pisces, the devil, the star, and the moon. And there's a story there too. It's a little bit different, but you know, the way I was thinking about it last night is that, you know, that's a story about structure, because you have, you know, the material structure, the physical reality of Capricorn, ruled by Saturn. And then you have the sort of intellectual or, you know, uh, ideal structure represented by Aquarius, also ruled by Saturn. And then 
you go from those forms of structure into the world of potential um, represented by the moon. You know, it's a journey from a very tangible reality to almost an erasure of that reality in the final months of the astrological year. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to think about what these two sets of three majors, the sort of zodiacal sequence and the elemental trio have in common is, of course, the star, as you were saying. So the star is at the center of all of this. Yeah, you can kind of see in that trinity of Capricorn, Aquarius, Pisces, the Aquarius as the balance between the devil and the moon. Yes. You know, that's that that break in the clouds where the clear sky right. shines through, <laughs> um, cutting through some of the delusions that are in the other two. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. The, the devil is a, an illusion that there's nothing but what you see. And the moon is the illusion that there's nothing but the unseen. <laughs> right, <know>? yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. So I was also thinking that that moment of Aquarius is really interesting because, you know, in terms of the time of year, that middle period between December 20th and March 20th, because it's exactly opposite to Leo, which was the, you know, Egyptian New Year with the flooding of the Nile. And of course, the flooding of the Nile happened when the moon was in Aquarius, you know, during the full moon. So sun in Leo moon in Aquarius. Don't really know where I want to go with that. But and you know, oh, there's one other thing that's that I thought was kind of interesting is that the Ace of Swords, I've seen a couple references it to it. And I'm sure you have too as the sword of the Magus. Yeah, you know, definitely. Yeah, he's got and that his- makes sense because Mercury mm-hmm. as the, you know, planet or Trump of the mind. And here we have the sword, the suit of swords as the suit of reason. So that's, you know, the power he can wield. Exactly, exactly. I think that there is a real profound connection between magic generally and the world of Yetzira and the idea of swords, um, which is why, you know, a lot of the time in ritual work, people use an atame. They use a representational mm. sword to open the worlds, to do astral work. We should talk maybe briefly about the four worlds just to review that because I think you know it's it they're kind of Mm. hard concept to go through but I kind of did a deep dive into the meanings of the words yesterday to try and try and just understand better because you know they always say okay you know Atsilut, Bria, Yetzira, Asiya the four worlds the archetypal world the creative world the formative world the material world. What the hell does that mean? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, so Atsilut, it's really interesting. You know, sometimes it's called the world of emanations, the world of causes, the archetypal world. But I've heard that it has a connection with the word Atsal, which means near. So it's the world of proximity or nearness to God. Right. I was going to say it's not too close to us. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's like it's it's really hard for us to comprehend that we can barely, we really can't understand it at all. Ineffable. Yeah, for sure. And it's also associated, you know, in that scheme of the four part soul, it's associated with chai, which is just the life force. It's not Mm. even anything we can really put our finger on. And then Bria, uh, we call it the world of creation, but 
that means it's literally that which is created. There is some, in fact, sometimes in, I think, modern Hebrew, Beriah is considered a creature. There's something that's the, the marvel of something that has been devised. <laughs> so that's what we get with the, with the world of cups, something that arises in response to mm-hmm. the um, impulse of Atzilut. And that's associated with the neshama part of the soul or divine intuition. You know, what's yeah, so funny? That makes sense. Yeah, doesn't it? N- knowing I mean, what's needed as a response to those emanations or causes on some higher divine level. Right. Because, you know, if there is an impulse to create, if there's an impulse to make something, then surely <laughs> there must be something on the other end that got made. <laughs> and actually, so this is this is where it gets so weird. So Bria, Yetzirah, and Asiya are all um, related to verbs about creation, right? But we just don't have the language to distinguish them. We generally translate them as to create uh, in Bria, to form in Yetzirah, and to make in Asiya. But, you know, they're all kind of similar, sort of like what we were saying with the like the di- different forms of wisdom, hard to hard to differentiate, but definitely different. So Yetzirah, so this is the same Yetzirah as in the Sefer Yetzirah. So yes, it means creation. Sometimes it's translated as the book of creation, but it's also translated as the book of formation. And you know, what's super interesting is that the word Yetzirah in modern hero is also sometimes used for like a composition, a piece of music. So, Mm. and you know, and I was just thinking about all the connections with like, for example, in your adjustment card, you know, the music that's sort of spooling out in the background behind her. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the idea that music is a function of air, you know, that it travels on the air, airwaves. But it's structured and harmonic, right, too. Yeah. Right, yep. right. There, It has form. And it's an abstract form, but it's definitely, you know, the mind organizing itself. That's Yetzirah. And that's associated with uh, the Ruach part of the soul, which is, you know, the intellect, I guess. I'm not ever sure that I have Ruach right, because it's sometimes translated as spirit, sometimes as intellect. And then, Well, that's interesting, mm -hmm. too, that you say that, because there's some connection or some thought in my mind about the mind as being spirit itself, almost. Almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the mind, think- you know, spirit comes from the divine, but the mind creates everything. And, I you know, know you there's something know there to explore. It reminds me a lot of the philosophy of idealism, which basically says that it's all in your mind, right? Everything, <laughs> everything right. is in your mind, which is sort of mind a materialist way of looking at thing. it's it's basically a replacement for materialism you know <laughs> <laughs> but you know but it is interesting to think of the overlap between spirit and mind when you think of the mind as being all there is and then finally you have asia from the verb to make so it's the thing that's made it's an you know sometimes translated as act or deed or making uh, and it's associated with our bodies and with action so, you know, you can see how when people talk about Asiya as the world of action, they're talking about um, our world, the world we live in, but also everything we can apprehend with our senses. So that's associated with nefesh, the, uh, which I guess is sort of like the animal instinct. 
So, so we have archetypal, creative, formative material, and we have emanation, creation, formation, action, sort of a possible to see it as a descent, but it's also possible to see it as an ascent. You can almost see the phrase mind over matter in the progression yes! from swords to discs. <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. Ah, and the connection with magic is that theoretically, you know, when, when you talk about magic on the tree of life, we're down here in Malkut, right? Which is coterminous with Asiya, basically yep. the same thing. And then the next world up is Yetzira, which contains Netzach, Hod, and Yesod, right? So Yeah, the astral triangle. Right, exactly. So what we're doing in magic is we're traveling up into Yesod, you know, foundation, and messing around with the blueprint mm-hmm. for the kingdom, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, and, and what people say in Chi of Life studies in Hermetic Kabbalah is that the ideas of one world are the reality of the next. So the ideas you mess around with in Yetzira become the reality in Asiya. That's mm. what you're doing in magic. And that's interesting too, because, um, that connection with Isode and the astral it all it, that path it actually connects all the way up to Keter. And when you mm-hmm. think about magic or Amagus, that connection the Magus has with the divine is through intellect and reason to some degree. That's right. Has to go through there. Yeah. And it's also interesting in that context to think of the Magus as Mercury in, on his travels, right? The, the God that goes between every world. Mm. I always feel with this Kabbalah stuff that, you know, we could just begin to grasp it, but <laughs> it's the work not of a quite. lifetime. I know, it's always <laughs> right. right on the, the edge of your comprehension. I always feel like, you know, the words are just not quite cutting it. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to absorb them as, uh, you know, almost like poetry and, and not try to pin down a strict yeah. definition. <laughs> yeah, so true. Which oh, reminds me, there's a word associated with Keter and one of the names that I think or it speaks to me personally about the Ace of Swords, which is the word. Well, tell me if I'm pronouncing it right. Um, you've been studying Hebrew more. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ehe, is see. that the correct pronunciation? E H E I E H. Oh yeah. Ehe, is that how you say it? Ehe, that's how I say it. When yeah, one of my names. Yeah. So, you know that word has a sound that is like the breath and it means I will be or I am or I become. There's something about that connection with breath uh, that connects it to the, um, the ace of swords, but also that I will be statement is very intentional. And there's, there's something very intentional about the power of the ace of swords for me. Mm -hmm. I think that's very true. It's, it's the invoked versus the natural force, right? You know, there has yeah, to be an that's, intention with it. Yeah, and that's something interesting to talk about because sure they always, is. you always see in Book T and other places where the Ace of Wands is natural force and the Ace of Swords is invoked force right. or a force invoked. Well, right. what does that exactly mean to you? What's the difference between a natural force and an invoked force? Mm-hmm. There's yeah. kind of like the process of um, invoking. You know, you're, you're purposefully bringing something into existence by means of your will and your intellect. 
That's right. It makes me think of this, just to draw the connection with magic for a second, it makes me think of the way we think in symbols, right? It's sort of like you go back a step and you fill the symbols with your mind, with purpose and with intention. And by doing that, that makes a different reality possible uh, in the world around you. You know, it has to be, this is an act that's created by your intention, by your will. Magic is the art of causing change in conformity with your will or how that um, Crowley quote goes. Yes. It's a good definition. That's the one. Yep. It's funny. This is whole, uh, in my prep for this episode, it's all been about words, (laughs) about like the meanings of words and what they really. really And that's so hilarious for the sword suit. (laughs) You know, it is. It's a good definition for the suit, meanings of words. Right. It's like, what are you you really talking about? (laughs) You know, we were talking about the word Ahaya and another one that, another name of Keter that it means everything and nothing, Mm -hmm. literally. All that is and the breath of that which is not. (laughs) (laughs) That'll break your brain if you think about it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I like that. The the breath of that which is not. The breath of that which is not. Yeah. Interesting, huh? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. And then I guess when we we get a little bit further down into looking at the actual cards, we'll talk about what Thelema actually means, which is related to all of this. I guess one thing that is worth looking at with with aces, which we did for the Ace of Wands, and maybe we can do again for this one, is looking a little bit at the Marseille Ace of Swords, because that basically has a direct line to the Rider-Waite-Smith one. And, oh, yeah. You know, and a lot of the time with these aces, we're just like, okay, it's just the thing itself, right? you know, maybe with a hand holding it. But you can look into them and see a lot more than that, actually. If you if you look at the Ace of Swords in Marseille, you have the beginnings of this whole theme of the crown with either the olive or laurel and the palm, you know, and those are important in their own right, you know, in the sense that, again, that dual nature of swords, uh, you can look at it as, on the one hand, consider it an olive branch, so you know, the peace of the olive, and on the other hand, the suffering of the palm, which is associated with the suffering of Christ. Palm Sunday, people wear carry palms in anticipation of his rising from death. But you can also look at it as different kinds of victory. You know, instead of considering it an olive branch, consider it a laurel. The idea that the laurel and the palm were both used to crown either, you know, victory of the intellect or military victory which are also two sides of the sword, right? Well, yeah, there's that whole opposing peace and war. But victory is also associated with the olive tree in the sense of it was a tree associated with Athena. Yes. (laughs) And, And victory is also associated with the palm in the sense of it was the victory of the martyrs. Yes. So that story of Athena is is so great. This refers to her contest with Poseidon, where they had a contest to see who could create the more uh, wondrous thing. And Poseidon struck the earth with his trident and up arose a salty spring. And Athena struck the earth 
and up rose a fully formed, beautiful olive tree, heavy with fruit, and she got the prize. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, springs are nice, but... <laughs> and combine them together and you have something you can put in a martini. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Some brined olives. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, and in, in the Marseille deck, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you have those four aces where... The Ace of Discs and the Ace of Cups, the feminine ones, don't have hands involved. They're just there, right? They're just sitting, standing there. But there's a hand in the Ace of Wands card, and there's a hand. I'm just talking yeah. to say. They have a hand with uh, holding the Ace of Swords as well, and that's a right hand in both cases, but they're facing in opposite ways. So the Ace of Wands, you know, comes from the right side of the card with the palm facing you. And the Ace of Swords comes from the left side of the card with the back of the hand facing you. And, you know, that, I think, you know, has to do again with natural versus invoked force. The the natural wand, which is just a piece of a tree, right? And the invoked sword, which is forged by man, man-made, you know, um, an, an instrument of will and power. So that's fundamentally different. I was thinking about the whole hands issuing from clouds or holding these implements. And it made me think about, well, the hand grasping these elemental forces, it's about wielding the power, you know, um, mm -hmm. taking, taking hold of something, uh, a divine force that you take hold of and, and wield. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I was thinking about in terms of the hand is the, the letter Yod. Yes. Which is the the hand, hand. it means hand right. and yod is associated with the aces in the sense that as the first letter of the divine name you know hokma is associated with with yod but the tip of the yod is said to reside in keter right and so there's right. there's some you know connection with with the hand and the ace and the the beginning to take hold and begin to wield this force and also yod as the fertilizing principle. And so if you think of the aces as seeds and the yoda as the fertilizing principle that causes the suit to flower. Exactly, right. And you know, that's really interesting, the idea of the yoda as the hand and the yod, the tip of the yoda residing in Keter. Usually when we look at cards, we see references to Keter kind of at the top and references to Malkut kind of at the bottom, but it's actually the other way around uh, with this one, I think in, um, oh, is it in Book of Thoth or is it in Book T or is it in Liber Theta? I don't know. But the tip of the sword is supposed to reside in Malkut. So, oh, I know what you're referring to. You know, you know th this says the sword of the Magus. There's a description of the sword of the Magus in Book Four that mm -hmm. says exactly what it. Yeah, so I think it's from Levi. Uh, Eliphaz Levi had a thing where he basically said, okay, the tip is supposed to be in Malkut, the, the bottom is supposed to, the pommel is supposed to be in Dot. You know, but I think whenever you see Malkut, you can say that there's going to be Keter too, right? Exactly, yeah. Keter and Malkut are also intertwined, uh, you know. It might be more complicated if you're talking about Keter in Atsilut or you know, Malkut and Asiya, the wands and the discs, but certainly with, you know, there's all sorts of connections between the two. It yeah. reminds me of something else I was, I was thinking about in terms of this card, especially. So there's Keter as the divine, as the Godhead, as the light, right? Mm -hmm. 
And but then there's that, you know, as above, so below thing going on where Malkut reflects Keter to some degree in another fashion. There's that whole spirit matter thing going on. Mm-hmm. One of the symbols of Keter shows the swastika, which right. is also called the thunderbolt. So mm-hmm. which is also associated with the letter Aleph, which is right. the fool's letter because it looks like a, a swastika or a thunderbolt. Right. But if you look at that swastika shape and it's said to be whirling and spinning, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do that. What does it look like? It forms the symbol of Malkut, it the circle with does. the cross in it. When it spins really fast and those sides blur together, that's, that's right. what you get. So I was just thinking about the connection between Aleph as the whirling thunderbolt the thunderbolt being the weapon of Zeus, you know, who mm-hmm. is associated with the air and the sword as sort of this whirling thunderbolt. There's a lot of references to thunder with this card, actually, with the Ace of Swords. In fact, you know, it's funny you should mention that because Eteya, you know, in his rundown of the Ace of Swords, he says, you will be surprised by a storm and thunder, which will fall close to your properties or those of uh, property of those close to you. Um, oh, that's it, funny. Isn't that hilarious? That is. Yeah. And, and, you know, years ago when I was working on Tabula Mundi's miners, before I had started them, I had done an experiment where I did four ace paintings and I ultimately did not make them part of this deck because they were in oils and I just decided to continue with this, the same look, same media. Mm-hmm. But in the one for the Ace of Swords, there's no sword actually shown in it What's shown is this like lightning bolt showing from the forehead of this face in the clouds in a, in a <laughs> dark storm. <laughs> oh, that's great. great. That makes so much sense. And it also, yeah, it makes you think of, of the Athena myth issuing forth from the forehead of the thunder god and becoming the sword goddess herself. That's really interesting. The, uh, the other thing about the Marseille Ace of Swords, which is curious and probably has nothing to do originally with Kabbalah, but there are 26 yods and 26, of course. I know. How perfect is that? Are you sure there's, I mean, are you sure it's a coincidence? I mean, why 26 unless it's the divine name, the letters, you know. Yeah, so, right. Yod, 10, hey, five, and And then five and five, and then five is... Ten, five, five, and six. So Yeah, you're doing it right. Yod, 10, hey, five, vav, six, Hey, five. And you, that adds up to 26. And there's no indication that there was any sort of Kabbalistic information encoded into the Marseille deck, but, but it is really awfully perfect. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Those 26 yodes, notice they're multicolored in the colors of the four elements. Oh, yeah. Which, so yeah. is a division of the 26 into which is the divine name <laughs> right you've yeah, got this- red ones yellow ones blue ones and green ones so fire air you know fire water air earth there i've heard that this was a heraldic device of the visconti sforzas you know that family that was among the first to to have a tarot deck of their own it's in the 15th century so it's kind of interesting that all these things seem to line up in ways that are probably coincidental but meaningful all the same you know, synchronistic. Oh, and the other thing about uh, the cardomantic meanings, just to throw this in, besides Atea saying that it's thunder and storms and stuff, he said that a great misery is predicted for you. 
especially if you don't have anything put aside in case of disaster. <laughs> so, you know, again, the double nature of swords and the really the double nature of, of storms and lightning, you know, destructive, but also fruitful. Mm-hmm. So should we, should we look at Rider Waite Smith a little bit more closely? Sure. At first glance, it doesn't look like there's much there, but there's enough to work with. Do you remember we talked about this with the Ace of Wands? If you go right to left, wands, cups, swords, discs, uh, pentacles, the aces of those four suits, if you go right to left in the order of the divine name, you see that the hands facing in, you know, from both sides. So they're Mm. all the hands face towards the center. That's interesting because it reminds me of the connection with the aces and the sixes or with Keter and Tiferet, um, you know, Tiferet being the center, everything facing the center. Right. And then we have another reference to that in the six, well, Yuds there uh, on the Ace of Swords and Rider Waite Smith. Yeah. I was thinking about those six Yuds. So on, you know, you could have that connection with Tiferet and and the center, but then I was thinking, you know, numerically (laughs) six, six of them and their, Value is six. That's thirty-six, and the and the decans. Um, well, the value of vav is six, but these are yods. Oh, those are yods. But but you're right because yeah, in a sense they vav. should be vavs, yeah. like you have on yours, because I think that right. was the original plan for um for the golden dawn. They they delineated it as having six vavs, which kind of makes more sense. In yeah, a way. Is that what, that must be what why I was thinking. That, yeah, because I think let me look up the book description. I think it specifically might mention Bob's, it does. But let me see. It does. What Wait did was he gave Pamela Coleman Smith a very sort of slimmed down version, you know, of of the Golden Dawn's information. So she probably just decided, well, I'm making yods on everything else. I'll I'll make them on. Yeah, here I'll too. just make yods. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm trying to find the um the description here so we yeah. can read it. Why not? Right, a white radiating angelic hand issuing from clouds and grasping the hilt of a sword, which supports a white radiant celestial crown from which depend on the right, the olive branch of peace and on the left, the palm branch of suffering six vavs fall from its point. Right. So that's what it was really supposed to be. Yeah. But in general, you know, six is really crucial to this suit and, uh, and this world of Yetzirah. As you were saying, it's, you know, the, the number of Tiferet, the son of Chokmah and Bina, in a sense, the number of air, you know, the son of fire yep. and water. And so, if you look at the six of swords in the suit, that's the uh, central decan of the Aquarius suit. Yes. And I think it's perhaps why the six of swords is such a strong and well-balanced card amidst the rest of the shit show. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So Waite said about the Ace of Swords, he said it represents triumph, the excessive degree in everything, conquest, triumph of force. It is a card of great force in love as well as in hatred. So as usual, you know, the two sides of the swords. And then he says, you know, in his ridiculously mystical and obfuscatory way, the crown may carry a much higher significance than comes usually within the sphere of fortune telling. <laughs> All righty then. Uh, Good old Which wait. is just like basically saying it's Keter. <laughs> All right. Exactly. So y'all know, don't be intimidated by weight and his like ridiculous language. He's just talking yeah. about Keter. I was thinking about the idea of the crown and um, one of the things that it's important, I think, to realize 
especially in terms of this suit being the suit of the mind and the suit of the reason, the mm-hmm. crown is worn on the head, but it's above the head. It's not within the yeah. head. And yeah. I think it's that's kind of referring to the fact that the the wisdom comes from the divine, not from, right. you know, and yeah, you're wearing it. Right. But it's the invocation of the highest, I guess. Now, you know, what's funny about this ace, and, you know, I generally read aces as pretty positive. This ace, more than any others, is said by many sources to be quite disastrous when reversed. I've read and seen that if you do reversals. I think in general, this card, though, more than any other ace, is kind of like can go either way all about mm-hmm. that dual nature of swords you know it's exactly cuts both is it ways. Con- is it conquest or is it defense is it right. justice or is it wrath you know right. <laughs> what is it <laughs> and i think that the reason you get these pronunciations about the reversals is that people just wanted to find a way to show you know the negative side mm-hmm. of the sword have a way of uh graphically representing that but where did i read that i don't know if it was book Book of Thoth or Book T. It says raised upward toward the divine crown, which Keter. It's mm-hmm. uh, spiritual brightness, you know, and point down, it's evocation of demonic forces. Yes, yes, I think I saw that too. And that kind of made me think about, you know, the whole difference between invocation and evocation and that yeah. as another possible duality mm-hmm. in this card. Well, you know, I've heard of the magician's wand as being used. I wrote this down somewhere. God knows where at this point. It's just an incredible scrawled mess on everything here. Yeah, okay, here we go. I found it. Uh, so Levi, Eliphaz Levi said he was writing about the chariot. In his sort of conception of the chariot, Hermes is the charioteer. And he talks about the magical function of swords and wands. So the wand benign beings like angels respond to the wand because it's reminiscent, he says, of Moses's staff, Moses being sort of the original magician in this narrative. Uh, And then, but evil beings fear the sword because it can damage, it can hurt their astral forms, you Mm. know? So that's interesting. The wands is sort of a natural in line with the divine form of command, but the sword uses something to control something that's out of balance with nature. Makes sense. But I just like, I was fascinated by that whole idea of Hermes as the charioteer. I never ran across that before. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I, that actually like pinged my brain a little too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't really know very much about Levy's writings and I feel like I should just go and dig into them at some point. But, you know, wormholes. <laughs> More wormholes. Great, great. <laughs> Take it to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Do you notice how at the bottom of that card, it's got the mountains? Yeah. Yeah. I was, the mountains are both Keter and Malkut because, you know, mountains of Malkut, the, the earth, the base. Oh, but then, yeah. you know, they rise up to a summit and uh, they do the very the very tip would be Keter. So I was thinking about that whole Keter Malkut. Um, Not to mention that mountains are associated through the I Ching with princesses because they're all, you know, associated uh, with the yeah. element of earth. All right, shall we uh, head into the Thoth Ace of Swords? Sure. Oh, so much going on here. Yeah. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. This is one of my favorite Ace of Swords. Yeah. So here's what 
Levy says in his description of how you make a magical sword, you'll see real echoes of this in the Thoth card because I think the Golden Dawn picked up on it. He says the guard should end in two curved plates uh, with Gedula and Netzach on, on one side and Geburah and Hod on the other. Gedula is just another name for Chesed. So Chesed and Netzach on one side, Geburah and Hod on the other. In between them should be Tiferet. You're supposed to consecrate this sword to Tiferet on Sunday at the hour of the sun with an invocation of the archangel Michael. So again, this is that whole sort of reference to the sun slash sun, the number six, you know, all of these yep. are connected with air. That's probably where, you know, Crowley's book four was inspired, um, mm-hmm. his description of the, the sword. Um, yes. Because he specifically says in Book of Thoth to refer to Book Four, Part Two, for a description of the magical sword. Yeah, do you have that uh, quote on hand? Because I don't. I'll just start reading and decide where to stop. I'll, okay. This is um the chapter. The whole chapter is on the sword. So it <laughs> he says, loved his swords. <laughs> As the wand is Hokma the will, the father, and the cup the understanding, the mother Bina. So the magic sword is the reason, the sun, the six Sephiroth of the Ruach, and we shall see that the pentacle corresponds to Malkuth, the daughter. The magic sword is the analytical faculty. Directed against any demon, it attacks his complexity. (laughs) Only the simple can withstand the sword. As we are below the abyss, this weapon is then entirely destructive. It divides Satan against Satan. It is only in the lower forms of magic, the purely human forms, that the sword has become so important a weapon. A dagger should be sufficient. But the mind of man is normally so important to him that the sword is actually the largest of his weapons. Happy is he who can make the dagger suffice. The hilt of the sword should be made of copper. The guard is composed of the two crescents of the waxing and the waning moon back to back. Spheres are placed between them, forming an equilateral triangle with the sphere of the pommel. The blade is straight, pointed, and sharp right up to the guard. It is made of steel to equilibrate with the hilt, for steel is the metal of Mars as copper is of Venus. Those two planets are male and female, and thus reflect the wand and the cup, though in a much lower sense. The hilt is of Venus, for love is the motive of this ruthless analysis." And that's bolded. Mm -hmm. If this were not so, the sword would be a black magical weapon. The pommel of the sword is in Doth. The guard extends to Hesed and Gaborah. The point is in Malkut. Some magi make the three spheres of lead, tin, and gold respectively. The moons are silver, and the grip contains quicksilver, thus making the sword symbolic of the seven planets. But this is a fantasy in affectation. Whoso taketh the sword shall perish by the sword is not a mystical threat, but a mystical promise. It is our own complexity that must be destroyed. Wow. I'll stop there. (laughs) But that's pretty fascinating. That is fascinating. Just the amount of symbolism that got packed into this weapon. That's interesting, though. It is our own complexity that must be destroyed. That's a good takeaway. And also that what he bolded there, love is the motive of this ruthless analysis. Right. If you want to wield it as a positive symbol. Exactly. Because that balance, that pure impulse to connect love, which he, I suppose, would translate as agape, the spiritual love, is necessary for this to be a sacred 
tool and otherwise it becomes merely a tool of destruction. Further down in here, there's also another bolded phrase that says the magician cannot wield the sword unless the crown is on his head. So, you know, Hmm. speaking about connections with the divine. Yes, that's really interesting. This whole chapter is really interesting. It's far too long to read here, but if you have book four, Mm -hmm. I suggest reading it. There's another part that's really interesting. It says, um, the center of Ruach being the heart, it is seen that this sword of the Ruach must be thrust by the magician into his own heart. But there is a subsequent task of which it is spoken. He shall await the sword of the beloved and bear his throat for the stroke. In the throat is Dot, the throne of Ruach. Dot is knowledge. This final destruction of knowledge opens the gate of the city of the pyramids. Wow. And when so, he says you know, the beloved, destruction, of, we were talking earlier mm-hmm. about the mind and the destruction of the mind, you know, knowledge and the destruction of knowledge and that process of ego destruction, I guess, um, mm-hmm. that it implies. Right. It makes me think of empty minds and full minds, right? Because you're supposed to empty the mind to achieve a mindful state. <laughs> Right? Right. You destroy the mind. Easier said than done. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Fascinating. And again, we have the sort of upside down, you know, point in Malkuth, pommel in uh, Dot uh, situation here. When he says, bears his throat to the beloved, by the beloved, is he talking about like something like Malkuth? I wonder, but he could also be, yeah, the bride and the, probably part of the process of connecting with the holy guardian angel and becoming the bride um, yeah. that's wedded to the bridegroom. Yeah, it's, it's, it's abstract. What else could it be, really? Right. So how about those 22 rays of the crown? Yeah, well, you know, it could be the 22 trumps or... Mm-hmm. Um, Hebrew letters athletes, of the alphabet. Right, the, the whole... Totality. Um, it could be twenty-two as the association with the fool, because mm-hmm. in addition to zero, sometimes he's considered number twenty-two. That's true. And I you think know what Crowley says something What's about that? it. Also, could be something about two times eleven, and in reference to the magical uh, manifestation of Hokma or something I like that. I saw that, and I couldn't quite. I read it like ten times, and I still couldn't quite figure out what he was getting. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> a little it's a little ambiguous. Um, what mean, he's getting the, on about uh, there. Hokma does not. I even added up Hokma in Hebrew, and it doesn't add up to eleven. So not even close. So I'm I'm not really sure what the eleven is. Yeah, I mean, 11 is the number of magic in general, but two times, two times, why two times? Well, two is the number of Hokma, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, well, if two's the number of Hokma and 11's the number of magic, that could be why he calls it the magical manifestation of Hokma. I guess so. Pity we can't ask. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. uh, You know what's really funny that I found out yesterday? I was... uh, Trying to see, I forgot that 26 was the number of the divine names. I was like looking up things for 26 and I stumbled across something really interesting for 22, actually, which is that the number of ganglia of the sympathetic nervous system is 22 or 23. And that's interesting. First of all, because nervous system is like a total air thing, but also because that system governs the fight or flight response. Yeah, Yeah. that's, that's cool. Isn't that cool? So, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why. When it's I did the sword suit in Rosetta, if you look at all the swords cards, they all have these like things that look sort of like lightning bolts, but they were uh, dendrites. Oh yeah, 
You know, the the things that relay the impulses of the the nervous system. That's so cool. That's true. And, you know, and just the idea that the nervous system is, it's a tool used by your body, but it can also turn against you. Oh, we should talk about Thelema. Yeah, the word inscribed on the, the blade of the sword. Yeah. So which is, you know, the word, <laughs> the word of, of, uh, of Crowley and his belief system, it comes from the Greek. I mean, it is Greek, obviously, but it comes from the verb thelo, or sometimes ethelo, to wish. But thelema is actually, it's one of the translations of the word thelema is errand, which is cognate with the word errant, right? Like a knight errant. And the interesting thing about that is that this concept of errancy derives from to err, error, but it can be either to adventure or to make a mistake, right? That sounds like the fool. <laughs> exactly. It sounds like the fool. Uh, it sounds like the that- knight errant. Yes. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, to, to err is to wander and wandering can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. It, this is the only place where uh, in the deck where the word thelema appears, I believe. Yeah, I think so. The word itself. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because, you know, the basic translation of the word could be, you know, the will, mm-hmm. you know, as in will and love. But it's more than that. It's based on desire. And we could probably and probably should someday, maybe after episode 77, we should like maybe do a whole episode on will because it's such a complicated yeah. concept and so badly misunderstood. People always get confused by the idea of Thelema being the belief system being based around do what thou wilt. It's not just do whatever you want. <laughs> you know, right. that's not the kind of will we're talking about. Uh, it's, you know, the will that's in line with the will of your holy guardian angel. And getting to know what that will is, is the work of a lifetime. It's not just. Yeah, it's an ethical know, process, like too. Yeah. It's complicated. I mean, that the operation to do that will you know, take years of and off your life. (laughs) Right. Um, And the word will itself, I mean, if mm -hmm. you just look at it as a word, it can be a noun or a verb. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what does that mean to you when you think of them in the different ways? Right. It's almost like, you know, the thing that you're going to do, the act is the same thing as the thing you want to do or you're intending to do. So it's like no sooner thought than done. Thy will be done. Yeah. And the other thing, of course, about Thelema um, is that it numerically adds up to 93. This is like Hebrew gematria, but it's Greek isopsephi. I'm never sure about that word. The same idea that the different letters in the word are assigned numerical values. And if you add them up, the the six letters of Thelema, then you get the number 93 which, of course, is super important in the Lima. I think it's also important for those that don't know to realize that the concept of the Lima didn't originate with Crowley. You know, it's been around for a long time. Uh, he probably got it from Rabelais, his writings, a- and even the phrase, do it thou wilt, was already coined. So it's a philosophy that he adopted into a religion, I guess you would say. Fair enough. 
There was something that you quoted, and I can't remember where it was, just a little ways back, where you, you talked about uh, Will as, um, maybe it was Crowley who said this, Will as Hakma. So the idea that, you know, your will, your will that you try to um, align with the divine has a relationship to this sacred will. They're not the same thing, but you're trying to bring them in alignment with each other. Yeah, I like what um, actually he says about this card in particular and how it doesn't, it's not really self-generated. Well, it is self-generated, whereas the uh, aces that come before are not. They're more divine generated. Um, Let me see if I can open my book of those yeah, to the right no page. I have that quote. It says, in oh, do nature, you? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it is the first card directly to be apprehended by the normal consciousness of mankind. In nature, the obvious symbol of air is the wind, which bloweth whithersoever it listeth. It has no self-generated impulse, but set in motion by its father and mother, its power is manifestly terrific. It visibly attacks its objective. Right. So set in motion by the father and mother right will and love you know wisdom and understanding that's the important part that we kind of touched on already mm-hmm. yeah. in other words those aces of uh cups and wands they are more subtle uh forces in a sense where this is one that we can grasp hold of exactly and it's it sort of reminds you also of like so this must say something about the nature of princes in the same way that the nature of princesses is to be at their most powerful when supported by the rest of their family. Yep. You know, the prince exactly. is most powerful. His his power comes from his father and mother. Yeah, and that kind of reminds me of, you know, Keter. I think I read somewhere that Keter has no evil in it because there's no duality there. It's just unity and everything. But, well, this ace in particular can be wielded for evil. Mm-hmm. So they say. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing that's in the Thoth card that um, is kind of cool is the, you see the the rising sun kind of coming up out of those those clouds. And, yeah. Um, it looks like water behind them. It's kind of like, so it looks like the sun is rising up from behind the ocean like a. It does. And, and then. Those like clouds a giant are. lemon. It's very solid looking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think it's it's kind of referring to the union of fire and water or mm-hmm. uh, Yoden mm-hmm. hay producing yeah. air or Vav. Yeah. And the light of Tiferet too. Yep. It's really a beautiful card. And it's kind of cool if you think, look at the colors in the card. So the white and yellow of the crown, mm-hmm. you know, I think Snuffin said that it referred to God and the adept, God being the color white for Keter and the adept being the yellow of the heart of Tiferet, mm, mm. the solar the solar force. And I thought that was kind of interesting. It's um, really beautiful, actually. Yeah. The, um, the aces are usually like the court cards are kind of in the elemental colors. But if you look at the colors, yellow and blue are the, the colors of air and then they form and there's that green in there. Um, Mixed, mixed to green. And if you look at yellow, blue, and green, those are the colors of the fool, which I thought was kind of oh, cool. Oh, that's true. And the yeah, air if you, colors. Mm-hmm. If you pull out the, you know, the, the, the ace of swords, the fool, and the princess of swords, there's a real, you know, um, color connection between those three cards and thought. The green and the blue and the yellow all together. We haven't talked about the snake coiled round the handle, have we? 
Mm. The Serpent of Wisdom. It's got Must six be. coils. Again, yeah. probably to ferret. Uh, yeah, yeah. And also it's sort of coiled around Dot and, uh, you know, the pommel of Dot. And that makes sense because, you know, the, the serpent, I think Dot is associated with knowledge and the serpent. Right, right. right. You know, the, the fall itself was from eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge, tempted by the serpent. And Dot itself is a pretty... <laughs> pretty complicated concept hard to understand which is kind of ironic <laughs> being the sphere of knowledge yeah i mean every time i think about dot if it's possible to do so i you know it it's again that mind empty mind full thing it's themes of destruction and yet it being the thing you must cross in order right. to attain the supernals um and s serpents in general you know have that sacred function uh, also associated with the sun they're so interesting because they're connected both with you know ideas of danger and temptation but also with healing and knowledge and all these things go together you know when you think of uh, mercury or hermes as a god of magic and a and a god of the word it's just sort of all tied up the abilities, powers, and danger of the serpent. There's a fairy tale, I believe, where the princess has to eat the flesh of the snake, and it gives her the power of understanding of all the languages of animals. Yeah, that sounds very familiar. Yeah, that's a, that's a grim one, I think. And, you know, at the time, of course, reading it as a kid, I never really understood that. But there's an awful lot of, you know, archetypal symbolism packed in there. Fairy tales are great. They are. All right. Shall we move on to your card? Sure. Beautiful Tabula Mundi, Ace of Swords. Mm. So I guess we can start at the top of the card. We've got the crown and the crown has all of the Hebrew letters inscribed on it. What you'll notice is that the point of the sword is pointing visibly to Lamed which right. is the letter of the justice or adjustment card. And it's which, hiding Aleph. <laughs> and it's hiding Aleph, the hidden one, yes. You know, we talked a little bit about that dance between the fool and adjustment, you know, the, mm -hmm. the order and balance that's mm -hmm. applied to the randomness and chaos. Yes. Potentially. Yes. And if y'all want to hear more about the love story of justice and the fool, definitely go back to episode... Um, I can't remember whether we numbered it Justice as 8 or 11, but if you go back to the Justice Adjustment episode, we've got lots on it there. So the crown is white, a color of Keter, an obvious Keter reference. And if you look, there are three kind of beams of light reference yeah. to the supernals. Mm -hmm. They're kind of piercing through that starry sky that's at the uppermost part of the card, which the starry sky is the body of Nuit bringing in the uh, star card. We've got the, the cloudy sky, obviously air reference with the clouds. And we've got the symbol of elemental air kind of formed behind the sword in made of smoke or clouds. And that smoke is, is rising up from, from below. I guess you could call it down in Malkut, or you could call it the city of the pyramids. You see the pyramids there that Crowley refers to as being what you can cross with the power of this card and the destruction of knowledge and the uh, right. <laughs> bearing the throat of dot to the sword as in that passage we read. Yeah. When I first was doing the card, it was like, oh, look, the sword should be pointing to Aleph. And no, it shouldn't. 
Mm-hmm. It should be pointing to Lamed as the ox goad, that which drives Aleph, that which dri- yeah. the driving force of balance behind the fool that moves him towards the the truth and the love of the magus, right. that equilibrium. And that you know the function of the sword is to burn away illusion, and so you see that there are clouds but they're being parted by the sword. There's mm-hmm. that opening, that round opening in the clouds that could be just an opening. It could be a lunar thing it can, combined with the solar sun that's, you know, rising. So the, the, the orange disc is the sun rising below. Yeah. And- the yellow disc, I think of it as both an opening in mm-hmm. that cloudy background, mm-hmm. you know, a, a portal opening up. Mm-hmm. Um but also it could be a lunar, it, it does remind you of, of a, the lunar disk um, sure. superimposed behind the sun. And, you know, even Crowley's card has that lunar solar thing going on. Just if you look at the solar disk rising in the background is kind of superimposed by the lunar hilt oh, yeah. of the sword. There's yeah, like a sun-moon conjunction theme kind of going on there. You know, love and will, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of love and will, on the uh, two spheres of this sword are the words Thelema and Agape, mm-hmm. um, love and will. And the number 93 is on there twice as well. Again, love and will. So it's just another reminder that the sword is wielded through the will and through love if it's wielded for its highest potential. So the 9393, Agape, like Thelema, also adds up yes. to 93 if you do the numbers. Yeah, so both the Greek word for love and will both enumerate to 93, mm-hmm. which is why it was such an important number for Crowley. And it's also important to realize that the Greeks had like seven, eight, maybe more different words for love in general. For example, there was eros, which is, you know, carnal, physical love and desire. There's philia, which is like, affection and friendship. But agape is a spiritual type of love, a yearning for the divine, that pure, almost altruistic love of humankind quality to it, like um, like metta in Buddhism. Yeah. So uh, we've got the six uh, vavs, like we mentioned, straight from the book T description. Um, yeah, you didn't make a mistake and put yods in there, did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know my yods from my vavs now. Uh, the hilt of the sword, you'll notice, has that kind of creepy looking eyeball. Yeah, totally Looking does. down at the city of the pyramids, <laughs> which, you know, you can think of that as the divine eye or the inner eye, because this card is a lot about clarity of sight, both inner and outer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? That sword is loosely based on an actual real sword that I own that does have an eyeball embedded in the Jesus, belt. really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you have to show me that next not time. Not a that's real eyeball, cool. but, you know. Well, I hope one. not. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's really cool. Uh, and the snake? Same yeah, snake as... Yeah, the snake is, is um, mm-hmm. straight up from the um, inspired by the Thoth version of the, the snake hilt with the uh, coils wrapped six times around six the um, hilt. Again, the knowledge aspect. Any particular kind of snake? I'm Just sure it is, but one? not that I'm aware of. <laughs> and of course, uh, you may have mentioned it. I can't remember the uh, the lunar hilt of the sword is a waxing and a waning moon, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Straight up from the description. And the the blade, I made the blade that beautiful Damascus steel. Oh, yeah. 
just because I'm fascinated with that stuff. It's so, have you ever seen like. Yeah, 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 yeah. The whirls and the swirls. Yeah, it's got all these swirls and and some, it's some type of um, steel processing that causes it it to be super hard and and super sharp. It's so cool, Mel, because it's like that process, it's it's, it's extreme heat and extreme water tempering, right? So it's fire and water that causes Fire and water and air. The wielding, the the forging of the sword. Yeah, the whirling patterns and the, you know, sort of turbulence of it reminds me of the sort of storm and thunder aspects of this card as well. Yeah. In a sense, this sword, this magical sword is every magical sword of myth, right? <laughs> right, right. It's a stand you know, in for it's all the Excalibur, of Excalibur. It's the Grail sword. It's, uh, it's every, it's every magical sword there ever was. Clears away the smoke. Right. It's like the sun burns away clouds. Just foreshadowing to the end of the suit, it's it might be fun for people to just pull out their princess of swords and just look at the visual rhymes between the two. Anything else to say about that? No, I think I covered everything that's there. Okay. So do you get Ace of Swords often? Yeah, actually. Fairly mm-hmm. often. Yeah. I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> <laughs> I get it, too. It's like, it might be my like most often drawn minor. I love this card. Yeah, I do, too. It's very powerful. Maybe it's because we both have such a strong Aquarius presence in our charts. That's true. Yeah, I have tons of Aquarius. So what does it usually mean for you? When I see this card, it it depends, but it's definitely a chance to call upon or wield great power. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's often about self-awareness as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It can sometimes be conflict or or wielding the power in a conflict and it's almost always about some sort of removal of darkness and gaining clarity on something and kind of invoking our own keter yeah that's that's true i as i was going through the you know dozens and dozens of manifestations of this card in my last few years I definitely saw, you know, the wielding of power in the sense that, like, in a very mundane way, I might be grading, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Using my mind to dissect and analyze and discriminate. I I get it a lot like that in an educational context when I'm teaching. Um, Totally makes sense. Yeah. I've certainly got it when I've been getting migraines. (laughs) It's like the mind attacking itself or the the head attacking itself. Uh, That happens a lot. And it's, you know, what's interesting is that a migraine is caused not by a constriction of a blood vessel like you would think, but by an expansion of it. So it's like it opens up. So it's been cut open by the sword of low pressure. (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, It's a barometric thing. Oh, here's a funny one. I got it. Remember when we were, uh, there was a day when we were, there was actually several days, but one in particular, I got this card when we were playing around with esoteric haiku and sending it back and forth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I think of this as like, definitely being a word based word game based sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. When you said headaches, the thing that popped into my head immediately was the image of Athena being born from the yes. head of Zeus, you know, striking yeah. his head with a sword and releasing it. And that must have hurt. Yeah. <laughs> and I generally associate this whole suit with headaches. Space, yes, but especially the court cards. I mean, I just get a lot of headaches. So, you know, maybe maybe that's not that significant, but I definitely associate swords with headaches. There was a day I made croissants, which are full of air. <laughs> And delicious. And delicious. And oh, and yeah, the first time I had ever had the idea to sell 
perfumes on Etsy, I got the Ace of Swords. So Mm, the idea, yeah, the idea Mm. and also perfumes, you know, they travel on the air. It's it's a yeah. smell isn't anything. Yep. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's um definitely a, a card I like to see. And I also associate it with, it's interesting because we just did, last week we did Princess of Cups and we were talking about sort of divining through symbols. But I also associate the Ace of Swords with the ability to interpret symbols specifically, not necessarily to see them and scry them, but Right. Cups will see them, but it takes swords to interpret them. Exactly. Exactly. So I think it's cool that those two cards are sort of side by side in our sequence. All righty. Wowzers. Whoever (laughs) thought we could talk for nearly two hours on any a card i mean we've we we always do that but when you think about even an ace card which at first glance looks like it doesn't have a lot going on in there <laughs> i know i mean what but are, it does <laughs> all right so uh shall we sum it up yep oh my goodness this is probably the most cabalistic one we've ever done we talked a lot about the divine name and the letter vav associated with swords generally we oh, talked we about talk- keter as all that is and the breath of that which is not <laughs> That's so great. I'm going to be thinking about that for a long time. I know it's it's a it's a brain bender. It's like a koan. Yes. Uh, the dual nature of swords for good or evil, upholding divine authority or um, dispensing wrath and punishment. Yeah, the idea of uh, conquest versus defense. Yes, and invoked versus natural power. And in invocation versus evocation. True. We talked about aces as sort of being uh, manifesting around the North Pole in a sense. Oh, and I don't most think we mentioned the swords as being geographically associated with the Americas. Oh my God, we didn't. That's true, but it's true. Yes, they are. <laughs> they are associated with the Americas, and and the United States in particular is associated with Gemini. I can't remember why. You know, it has a Cancer chart. Gemini rising chart. I think Gemini one of the, um, chart, one of the charts of the USA has a Gemini rising. I believe that might right. be the case. Right, which is explains why we've had so many leaders with prominent Gemini in their charts for better and for worse. So we talked about, oh, the association with elemental air and the fool, at, um, adventure and danger. Yeah, the fool as the knight errant and and the the fool's journey on a mundane level perhaps being another journey through the sword suit as well as a journey through the trumps. Uh we talked about the associated airy trumps, um justice or adjustment, the star and the lovers, the connections those have uh cabalistically and story-wise. And story-wise. The mind as spirit itself and uh, and Libra, Aquarius, Gemini as uh, the balancing of justice, the fixity of purpose, and the uh, the choices of free will. We talked about the Aleph as a thunderbolt and the connection with thunder and storms. Yes, and the connection of Aleph and Lamed, uh, the fool and justice. Uh, we talked a little bit about the uh, sequence of devil, star, moon. Capricorn, Aquarius, uh, Pisces as a story of structure descending from the physical into a world of potentials. We talked about the sword of the magus and the connection of the magus to the divine through intellect and reason. So good. We talked about the magus as Hermes the charioteer and uh, 
We also talked about magic as the ideas of one world manifesting as the reality of the next, from Yetzira to Asiya. We talked about Thelema and will and desire. And 93, the significance of 93. We talked about um, the four worlds and the, the many different kinds of creations, uh, creating, forming, making, and uh, Yetzira as formation. Yeah, and that led to their little bit about the ideas of force and form and force taking form, mm-hmm. taking a self-directed pattern as being a birth in our world and, and uh, form breaking apart as a death in our world. Yes, really two sides of the same thing. And we talked a lot about crowns, Keter as the crown and, and crowns as being worn on the head, but not inside of it. Uh, we talked about the mind as a as a interpreter of symbols. And a terrible thing to waste. Yes. <laughs> uh, we talked about the magical functions of swords versus wands. We talked about intellect wielded as a tool for both good and evil. We talked about the many kinds of love, and we made a stab at, <laughs> so to speak, at the definition of will. And we talked a little bit about the mind as the enemy and the yeah. destruction of knowledge. Yeah, we talked about emptying the mind to achieve mindfulness. Oh, and we talked about sixes. Lots and lots about sixes. <laughs> yeah, and the connection with Tiferet. The, mm-hmm. um, and the difference between the uh, God, God and the adept and yeah. their connection. Right. Uh, there's probably a lot more that we said. <laughs> oh, I think there was, but we but who can't knows? do the whole episode over again. Exactly. I sometimes feel like like one way to sum up this card is, it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, one thing we, we, we talked about the colors of the card in general, the elemental colors, but the color of this card, the Ace of Swords, is white brilliance. White brilliance, exactly. Something we can actually see. Yeah, so it's opposed to the um, so the Ace of Cups and the Ace of Swords both share this color as white mm-hmm. brilliance, whereas the Ace of Wands was just brilliance. Yeah, and that's that's kind of interesting in that when we get to the princess who is both the Lotus of Air, uh, Lotus of Air, Lotus of Water thing. Hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, I think we got to call it done. All right. Well, thanks so much for sharing the storms and lightning, the thunder, the breezes, the wind, and the cutting clarity of the Ace of Swords with us. Uh, We'll be back next time with the Two of Swords.